0: Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar, Shaw. Yeah, we're in the Kintec studio this hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, the Canucks will host the uh, Florida Panthers tomorrow night for Roberto Luongo's Ring of Honor celebration, and uh, they will try to close out this five-game homestand with a fourth consecutive victory after beating Tampa Bay last night. So we just talked with uh, Jim Rutherford, president yep. of Hockey Ops with the Vancouver Canucks. He's loving his time in Vancouver, as he uh, as he told us. And uh, why
1: wouldn't he with the, with the success the
0: team is having? Yeah, exactly. Especially the way it's going right now. Maybe that resolve was uh, tested a little bit last year, but. Um, <laughs> As it's going right now, you know, um, you know, on that they they held firm quite a bit last year through some pretty tough moments, yeah, and believed in their plan. And here it's it's started to come to fruition for them. And ultimately, as we just started to discuss at the end of of the last segment, right after the interview, they've bought themselves a lot of time here to really try to pinpoint exactly what's needed to take this roster to another level. And you know that's that's big because if you're in the dogfight right now and uh sitting around 500 and trying to figure out if you're a good team or you know what what you're going to end up doing near the trade deadline like Canucks <laughs> they've pretty much punched their ticket to the playoffs already. It's more yeah starting to line the ducks in a row and have an understanding of how do we get even better from where we're at right now
1: and i think that stuff's going to take some time as we kind of mentioned towards the end yes it's clear you would like to add another top six guy and he did kind of shine some light towards when we asked about the lafferty type yeah they would like to add a player like him of course if you can and yeah you're always open to adding more on the back end they're after ethan bear but it's one of those things where it's is this something that you have to go out there and do? Or do you have certain pieces that you can let it breathe a little bit? And, and the goal, obviously, is get to the playoffs and who knows what happens. And hopefully you can go on a deep run and perhaps even the magical run happens or whatever. But I think there's an acceptance that you're not necessarily winning the cup this year. But how close are we? And I don't think you really know until we get to the playoffs. And I think that's going to be a big indicator. And I think it's some, something he kind of alluded to that, yes, we may not be perfect, but we kind of need to see what these Mm -hmm. guys can do now from this point on and and see truly what we need to add.
0: You've got to crawl before you walk sort of thing, right? So um, there's still a lot that this team has to um, put in place, but you know, the the idea of adding an impact player, adding a top four D, number one those are expensive ads not cheap not cheap and this team still is probably lower in the amount of assets that they have big assets to trade in order to acquire those types of things Mm -hmm. but i think the comment on fit is a big one and the way they've been able to identify fits and to identify their needs should give you some confidence as to how they go about identifying the pieces they need to get to another level, right? Like, they haven't really misstepped in free agency all that much, if at all, right? Like, if if you're saying Curtis Lazar is the biggest miss they had in free agency, I mean, no, I mean the free agency, even him, they flipped him and got a pick out of it.
1: So you 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 got out of it. So even yes, it wasn't the best fit. They recognized it. You got a pick, yeah, uh, for a
0: player you you signed to a three year deal at one million. Makaev is still hit even with the injury. Pius Suter, Teddy Bluger, Carson Susi—like all these guys—seem to have fit this year. Now they've done a re- they've done a really good job in free agency of identifying pieces that help this team in areas that they need help. Yeah, and have done it in a way that isn't overextending themselves against the salary cap. They haven't. Mm-hmm. You know, Makaev—they gave him the four years. Susi—they gave three. So those are the ones that they really extended most, but even that, not terrible deals, and we can all look at that and, and, and identify that. Even with Philip Peronick, it's, yeah, this is the cost of doing business, but we really see this player as a, a, the ultimate fit for our roster and what we need right now. So those are like real good indicators of when they do figure out, or maybe they already know it, just won't tell us, what they need to add to this roster, they've done a pretty good job of identifying their holes.
1: And something that he mentioned, the head coach being aligned and knowing what the coach wants yes. and knowing how the coach wants to play. It's a like, Dorov
0: acquisition, essentially. Yeah,
1: and and other players too. Like You you may look at a team and say, hey, uh, I'd love to add this player to our group, but how does he fit? Mm-hmm. Can he play in a role that our coach can prescribe to him? And if he can't, then the fit's not gonna be there. And it seemed like he's concerned about adding somebody to the group that doesn't fit. Yeah. I think considering how everybody is, you know, bought in with how they're playing right now, the young players taking a step, the team taking a step as a group, obviously. I think he's careful about what we're adding to the room. Zodoro is somebody they were after for a long time. They felt obviously fit really how it's gonna play. They felt comfortable about it, now it's looking good already. But I think they're I wouldn't say concerned, but leery of adding somebody that may not be the best fit and and not only not fitting, but maybe disrupting some of the harmony to some degree. Right. You know, and you don't want to do that. No, and especially if you go after somebody who's a bigger piece because then you feel like you have to make this player fit. So whose role is he taking? How does that fit in? Does it become awkward? So it is a, a, a fragile ecosystem sometimes when you find good chemistry and it seemed like he's concerned about... Uh, disrupting that unless there's somebody that they feel like that truly adds to the team
0: on uh, we're gonna get some of these texts We have a lot of good questions coming in 650 650 if you have a comment on the interview we just did and are listening live 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox get your comment in on your takeaways from uh, not just our interview but some of the others that uh, Jim Rutherford has done his media tour and how you're feeling about what the president has to say about the team's direction On Elias Patterson, it was not too dissimilar from from anything else that has been said, you know, regarding the discussions. There hasn't really been much negotiating yet, but, you know, just continuing to touch base and keeping the lines of communication open is important for them. But there was a admittance to this really comes down to Elias Patterson. And even on the discussion of, would you prefer a max term? We're most comfortable with it, with whatever Elias Pettersson is most comfortable with. Because reality is, a star player, we saw it with Austin Matthews, it's like, you may want eight years all you want, but if you want the player, you're just going to have to give the player what he wants in that moment, as long as he's willing to stay. It's, that's the most important thing.
1: And he said he can be a top five player in the league. Yeah. This is the words of Jim Rutherford. He can be a top five player in the league. And when you say that publicly, and when you're publicly saying, answering your questions and saying yes, it's about whenever he's comfortable, and the term is whatever he's comfortable with, does that not tell you that, not that it's a blank check, but the Canucks are very aware of the cost of signing him and are very comfortable in signing him to a big contract?
0: It immediately tells us that it's really about making sure Pedersen's comfortable And wanting to remain a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah, and I think a big part of The money's not going to matter.
1: No, and and I think before when there was some talk about, you know, have the Canucks not offered him something or has it been quiet and all this stuff kind of was going on, and and there was a sense of, well, the Canucks also don't know where this is going to go. I think what that meant more than anything is, with Pedersen specifically, they want him to want to be here. Yes. They want a player invested in being here and being comfortable being here and wanting to win here. I don't think they want to just throw all the money in the world at somebody and and twist somebody's arm. And it's like, we'll pay you. But we don't want to make this about us courting you and, and, and begging you to stay here. You have to want to stay here. And if you do, I mean, fantastic. But that's what it has to be. And I think in terms of having a team and a group that's going to be successful and a player who's truly committed, he's going to have to want to be somewhere. It can't just be, hey, I came here strictly for the money or I stayed strictly for the money. So I think that's what it alludes to more than anything. And he's made it very clear. He made it very clear with our discussion he wants to get something done. And it doesn't seem like term is an issue. I don't think money's a real issue. It's just where his desire is at.
0: It's uh Patterson said he's willing to wait, and so he's waiting, you know? Um does that mean he doesn't want to be a Vancouver Canuck long term? Uh, it's, it's really hard to speculate on that. Only he truly knows, but There is no reason to speculate that he doesn't want to be a Vancouver Canuck long-term other than he just hasn't put pen to paper on a new contract yet. Outside of that, the way he talks about the team, uh, the way that he seems in line with... The direction of the team, especially in how it's gone since Rick Tockett took over as head coach, those are all positive indicators of where this relationship is headed. And listen,
1: he's said all the right things himself, too. Yeah. And he's said he's committed to the team. The other day, uh, in one of the post-practice scrums he had, he talked about how they're trying to build something here long term. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not just about, hey, today and tomorrow. It's about long-term what we're trying to be. Sounds like a player pretty invested in the vision and what, what they want it to be. And he did mention, though, to the question you asked about business, it does affect it to some degree. And it's like what we talked about the other day. It's not like you don't know what the numbers look like. It's more about knowing the player himself for sure is staying. and You yes. know how many years he's here. You know, I think that gives you a better idea. Again, and I'm not saying they're gonna they should trade Pedersen, but if you don't have an indication that he not, doesn't want to be here, then your plans change. Yes, you know, like you're not gonna go and make a certain move unless you know for sure. Say he's gonna be here. Like one of it could be as simple as, hey, here's a guy we think could be a great fit playing on that line. Yeah. Well, if Pedersen's not gonna be here in two years, do we want to go and acquire that player or do we look for somebody different potentially? You yeah. know, I and mean, I think that's what it informs more than anything else. As opposed to the money, I think they have a pretty good idea of what it's gonna cost. It's more about. We just want to make sure he's here. And once we know, then when we look next year, the year beyond, and the players we're looking at it gives a better, a clearer picture of what to go after.
0: And it just, it gives you a a better ability to plan your cap picture for the next number of years, however long Pedersen ends up signing a new contract for. And knowing that exact number will help you project that out just a little bit better as time goes on.
1: Exactly. Marcus and Gibson says, maybe Petey was slighted by Alvin saying we have no superstars, and he just (laughs) wanted them to say he's a superstar, and Jim has just said he's a top five player in the league. Christmas present extension coming? Uh, It's he jokes for 60 uh, good text to our Dunbar lumber text inbox 65650 from Marcus and Gibson's but uh, like I, I don't know if it's quite clear like that right. but I do think it's one of those things where they view him as a star a superstar and they're kind of want making him feel that way and they're not making it like with Bo it was different the conversation was well we have a number for Bo yes you know it has to make sense for both sides same thing about JT it has to make sense for both sides Brester before his extension has to make sense for both sides. There's none of that. No, with uh, Elias Patterson,
0: not not really. And also, uh, I I'd, I'd rather maybe like a, a New Year's present for Elias Patterson rather than a, a Christmas present because I, I don't know how much we want to be doing like uh, eggnog infused uh, emergency podcasts about an Elias Patterson. Hey, listen, <laughs> long term <I'll>, extension. <laughs> I, I will say this: listen, I, I'll be ready
1: to do to do it. I'll jump on. Yes, if it is on one or two days. That uh, I have certain plans with my significant other. I think that... It might be tough. It might be very tough (laughs) for the promises that I've made. Yes. uh, that, That I would have to skirt. So I'm hoping it's not on those days. Yes. But we know the NHL, they don't like, you know, they're pretty conservative with trades as it is, unless you're named Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford. Yeah. But... Over Christmas time, it's usually pretty quiet with yeah. transactions.
0: No, you, you'd you like to think. Um... Sat's going with a mega jinx right
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> Holy. Hey, hey, great. Honestly, like hey, maybe I won't be there to do it, but Dan might be. Yes. And, and maybe Josh. Maybe Josh is the one that does a Canuck Central uh, emergency podcast. People would love it. Yes. be <laughs> like,
0: oh, no Satyar Shah. would be great. Josh Elliott Wolf. As, 100%. As Josh says, uh, Reach hates Christmas, so of course he'll do it. <laughs> Reach is going to make it happen. (laughs) Uh, This text um, from Marcus as well. Uh, Listening to Jim makes me love JT Miller's cap hit. I think this year we've seen the best JT and 8 million will be peanuts against the cap in three or four years for a savvy vet. Uh, We had another text uh, come in from Sudeep in Burnaby. What was your take on the comments regarding JT feeding Bo Horvat last year seemed like an indirect shot at Bo that perhaps he was padding his stats and not a great player on his own. That is from Sudeep in Burnaby. Uh, I mean, it
1: was interesting and I don't think it was necessarily taken as... I mean, So what he said about Bo was very clear. We wanted to keep him at a number and when it became pretty clear that we weren't going to be able to keep him at the number then we felt like we had to move. It's the same discussion as we had with JT to some extent and again, we just mentioned it. Those players, they're not keep at all costs. Yeah. It's like, I like this guy. I like the other guy. It has to come in at a range that makes sense for us. Yeah, And if it doesn't, we have to move on. And they were decisive with that, right? Like, they, they said, hey, you're not, you're not going to be here. We're going to make trade. And, and they went out and did it. And I think what it did shine some light on is why they weren't willing to perhaps give Bo Horvat $8 million, million what he ultimately got with the Islanders. Because they felt like, hey, he's a good player, yes, but a lot of that production this year might be somewhat unsustainable, whether it's JT or something else. We don't feel like he got there based on his, his true evaluated talent. Right. And that's why we're not quite comfortable paying him the money he's looking
0: for. Not to do the whole revisionist history thing on this, but since it's the question from the listener, I, I think it's fairly obvious at this point and maybe it doesn't need to be reset, but they valued JT at a higher number than they did Bo Horvat. Now, JT was coming off a 99-point season, but part of that is and was how they felt about JT and what he brought to the team even off the ice and some of that competitive fire that not a lot of other players really showed uh, as much outwardly as JT does sometimes. So... All of those factors, I think, led to them valuing J.T. Miller at a higher price than what they were offering Bo Horvat at the time. And as it's played out now, so far, like Bo's having a good year in in Long Island, right? On Long Island, I guess, is, is the proper term. But it's worked out well for the Vancouver Canucks as well. So if it's worked out for all sides, then it's worked out for all sides. And the Canucks are better to have Philip Ronick as well in tow because they desperately needed a right shot defenseman so their assessment and the way they played that situation is one of the better navigations we've seen from this organization i would say and that's pretty obvious at this point
1: point. Well, and you know the, the other things on on jt and, and kind of how they view him as a player it's interesting that he kept he keeps bringing up rick talkett Mm-hmm. and accountability to and, and having some... Essentially, I, th- I think the Coles notes of it is uh, JT is a bit of a wild stallion. You need somebody to be able to harness it. Mm. And if you have somebody that can harness his energy properly yeah. and can guide, you know, can take care of everything else, let him do his thing. Don't let him get distracted by other things. He he attributed
0: JT's uh, emotional outburst last year to... Um, Essentially, you know JT feeling like there was a lack of accountability around the team, and he took that upon himself. And, and
1: he, I think that's also the bit of a, a, a bit of a romanticized description yes. of it as well, right? Because I don't think it was just as simple as that. I mean, JT himself has said, "Yes, there are certain things that I need to do better as well." And and it's not just, yes, things kind of getting away. Yeah. There are things that you can learn and mature from. But a JT is a type of player. And we mentioned this for a long time. Very emotional. Plays with a lot of fire when he's going. When he doesn't have it, it can be ugly. We've seen the ugly side of it as well. But those are the types of players that if you harness the right way, they're so hard to find. There's so few of those types of players that can do the things that JT can do. You just need to have the type of team and environment where a player like him can be successful. And not just in terms of successful... Producing because he's done that since day one of getting here, but in terms of being successful within the team environment, accountability matters in so many ways. Like, JT's not the type of player you can have on your team. Expect to be quiet and mind his own business. It's not yeah. going to happen. No. So if you have an environment where things are taken care of, he's going to fit in well. But if it's like it was last couple of years... Well, he's not going to sit there and be quiet about it.
0: Uh, a lot of uh, follow-up questions on the discussion around Elias Petterson. If the Canucks got eliminated in Game 7 of the second round, is that enough success for Patterson to re-sign? That is from Dave in Chilliwack. A couple of these uh, comments as well. Huge Patterson fan, but if he wants 13 to $15 million, dollars, he needs to be putting up McDavid-type numbers and be a timely clutch player. JT is the engine that runs the team. That is from Sonny. And Timbo says, Patterson has to make something somewhat team-friendly. Otherwise, we'll be in Toronto Maple Leafs land. That is a couple of texts coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox.
1: Yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't think when we say they're comfortable paying Pedersen, they're not going to make him the highest paid player in the league. No. You know, and, and I think that as good as Pedersen's been, I don't think it, the expectation is you should give him a contract like Austin Matthews even, right?
0: But it's a number where... The only thing that I would compare is is maybe the, the term of the contract.
1: Yeah, I mean, four years, five years, something along those lines, maybe three even, like three to five. That, that might be the sweet spot in between that, yes. as opposed to six, seven, eight. Like that—that's kind of the range. If you're looking at a three-year range, they'll look at six, seven, eight. Look at three, four, five. Yeah, that seems to be maybe where where this might be headed. But I don't think Pedersen—he's going to be getting twelve, twelve, thirteen million per year. Like I think we're still talking that ten to eleven, some
0: million and change. Um, which is somewhat interesting in how that ends up uh, being uh, part of the the cap picture in the future. Cam from Towson. Everyone's talking about Petey's contract, but I'm honestly more intrigued by Horonic and what his next contract will be. What's your guys' take? Honestly, um,
1: I, I, this is one of, one of the rare instances where I, I want to say let's wait to the end of the year. It's the same discussion as like Bo Horvat last year. So yeah. I don't want to sign Bo during the season. because He's on a heater. Yeah, he like, and then he finished the season with what, like, 60-some points, 37 goals, or whatever didn't, it was. Didn't reach the
0: 40 mark. No, it, he fell did, just shy.
1: Did he get, get 70 points? I can't remember exactly how many points he got. But at the end of the year, it wasn't like these, these eye-watering numbers from Bo Horvat, right? He did
0: not put up a ton of offense with the Islanders last year.
1: Yeah, so I, yeah, he, he ended the season with 70 points last year and 38 goals. Great season, no yes. doubt. But it doesn't scream $8.5 at the end of the year. He had 31 goals
0: when he was traded from Vancouver.
1: Yeah, he was on pace for like 50, 60 yeah. goals. I mean, it was it was unreal what he was doing. And people thought this guy might get 80 points, 45, 50 goals, maybe leads the league in goal scoring. Yeah. And hey, if he actually scored 50 goals, he might be a bargain at $8.5 yes. million, right? So, But it's kind of like, wait for the season to end see where the team goes, see what his season looks like at the very end, and then you really start negotiating. Because if right now you're negotiating and Alan Walsh is uh, as ruthless as any agent, uh, leveraging the value of his players and trying to get as much money as he possibly can, we're looking at point-per-game player this year who is going to maybe have more points than Vince Dunn did last year. Yeah. So that automatically means he's getting at least seven-some million. Mm-hmm. And maybe the number is above that. Now if he finishes the season even if the numbers are like 58 points, yeah. It's kind of like okay, maybe it's back to like the 7 range or something, right? Like I ultimately think they'll get him signed to a contract with the number being in the 7s somewhere and it'll be an 8-year deal. It'll still be a lot of money, you know, like 56 million, 57 million. It'll be lots of money. But I don't know if it's going to be, or maybe even close to 60, but I don't know if it's going to be the 8, over 8-plus eight per year.
0: It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Coming up, we'll get Kevin Woodley's take on the uh, media tour Jim Rutherford just went through. And, uh, of course, what made Roberto Luongo so great from our goalie guru. That's coming up next on Canuck Central. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. back In on Canuck Central for hour number two. Appreciate all your uh, texts and tweets to those, the live listener. For those uh, listening on demand, we appreciate you as well. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. We do appreciate it. It uh, goes a long way to continuing uh, to grow Canuck Central and gives you first access to all of our exclusive interviews every single post game show and much more on the Canucks Central podcast feed. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, He joins us every single Wednesday, which you'll find on that podcast feed. It is our goalie guru and covering the Canucks at NHL.com. It is Kevin Woodley. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, uh, Woodley. How are you? And I guess we lost Woodley. I
1: don't think his mic is potted up properly. There we go. He's on now. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> that that that's uh that, that was on us. That wasn't on you, Kevin. That was an us thing. He's like, I'm not even listening anymore. He's
0: Woodley, like, we got gotcha. you.
1: I don't know if we do. I
2: uh, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, now we, we can, can hear you. Now. There we go. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. You know what I think actually? The phone in my new car from White Rock Hyundai, like the car is so strong that it picks up the signal in my house and tried to steal my car. Oh, so, wow. The power of Hyundai. That's how good it is, boys. That's, I apologize for that. That's no, great. That's
0: great Bluetooth. I don't think it was the car, though. No, but I, I would
1: say that <laughs> the, that Bluetooth, that's a strong Bluetooth coverage because everybody, like, don't, don't you dislike when the Bluetooth just drops while you're driving? Yes.
0: It's very frustrating. I
2: never have that problem. Clearly, I have yeah. another problem. It picks up. <laughs>
0: he is quite kevin woodley and he's a uh, presentation of white rock hyundai so uh, we're going to get into roberto luongo a little bit of course uh honoring him tomorrow night at rogers arena but um i thought the quote you got from Braden point uh, which you put out on twitter last night was was interesting and and you've kind of been following this for a lot of the teams that come into rogers arena there seems to be a theme developing of how they talk and how they see the Canucks after, you know, generally the Canucks have beaten them.
2: Yeah, no, and I, it's interesting. Like, you just getting the perspective of other teams and coaches. Like, earlier in the week, and I didn't put this one out on Twitter, uh, men too, but, you know, post-game deadlines, and um, actually for talking about it today, John Hines, when he came in with the Minnesota Wild referenced the fact that even in a two nothing loss, he was really happy with how his defense had played in front of Philip Gustafson because he noted that the Canucks were the number one rebound team in terms of chances and scoring in the entire national hockey league. And he thought they did a good job against them. And how many times, including last night, Besser knocking in the rebound after Miller gets a, you know, a loose puck chance off the tip. Like there's another theme that we can see this on a night in night out basis. And it's, it's really interesting to see how teams sort of, you know, react to it after, or, even going into games against the Vancouver Canucks. And I thought Braden point last night was obviously very complimentary. Um, John Cooper had referenced the day before when I was out at practice at UBC that, you know, how much better he thought this team was than the one they played when they went through Florida, uh, earlier in the season. And that was sort of how I put it to point. Like, Hey, can you see the differences here? And, you know, clearly he could. And I think when he talked about the depth and how hard they were to play against, and I thought last night was one of their best examples of that. Just, you know, there wasn't a lot of time and space for anybody in the Tampa lineup. And, you know, even, even Kucherov, um, he's always going to get his, he's going to get his looks, he's going to get his chances. But for the most part, um, against a guy, it's pretty hard to take time and space away Mm -hmm. from. I thought they did a really good job. A lot of sort of, you know, heavy on sticks and boxing out in front of the net and just, um it was impressive and clearly impress impressed Braden Point.
1: Well, you know, the details, which is, it's so funny, right? Because the last few years, and and especially last year, how many times did we rail about details, not having to stick in the right lane, not not doing the the easy, responsible things, for instance. And we saw them do it really well to start the season. And then it waned a little bit during that kind of, you know, I I guess you call it a swoon. What was it? the, The four and six run for 10 games that they had. And now they're back to, you know, winning three straight. But it seems like they do have an identity as being a team with good details and that plays stingy. I guess the question is how consistently can they turn those out It showed a great again the, these last three games and are they maybe starting to really hone in on that being who they are?
2: You hope so right There's a lot of good signs of that I, I, I took note as much as I was in the Tampa room when I went back and sort of listened to the audio on the Vancouver side you know I thought it was notable that on a night and and after a stretch where Nils Hooglander has moved up the lineup and earned a lot of praise, you know Rick Tockett made sure to pause and talk about, you know, the times he wasn't in the right spots and that that can't slip, right? Um, Just because you're up the lineup and having success offensively, those details have to remain. And then today, asking him about, you know, the way they're defending third-period leads, the way they're able to close out these games for a team that was so fragile with leads before he got here. Like, how much of that is X's and O's and, and those details we just talked about, how much of that was like how much did you have to fix the psyche of a team that didn't seem to know how to close out those games. And obviously they go hand in hand. If if those are the things you do, whether you're winning or losing consistently night in night out, they're easy to repeat. You don't worry about the pressure of being up a goal because you're not getting caved in, in your own end because you make the same place. Guys are in the same spots for the outlet pass. You know, like there's, guys are where they're supposed to be, that predictability, that reliability that we've seen from this team. And like, it's not going to be perfect tip to tail. And we've already seen, as you said, it wane a little bit, but their ability to sort of correct it and recognize when it slips. Like, I think that's admirable for a team that for the longest time didn't have any of these details, you know, really dug into how they play, at least for the guys that You know that are returning obviously you bring in we talk about shot blocks and how much inco would mean to that um you bring in some other guys that you know have 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 been on winning teams that know the importance of those things and and it's a little more inherent and innate in their games um, to repeat those details and stick with them and and not abandon them when pressure ramps up but for the guys that you know have been here throughout it's going to be a work in progress. It's not going to be perfect every night. It's an 82 game schedule, but you like the progress in the process that we're seeing so far this season, and getting back to these last three has been a big part of that.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know the mentality has changed quite a bit. I think even in just uh, you know when when JT was was asked, I guess the, uh, the the measuring stick question yesterday about Tampa coming into town and just like. Never mind, memory, me- measuring stick. We've just we've got to focus on us, and and I think that that speaks to a, a different level of maturity from this team, and and understanding that you know if we play our game, we're we're probably going to have success more often than not on a night-to-night basis.
2: Well, and that's where you're hearing other teams recognizing how can be to play against, and you know for all the things the Canucks were in years past, even when they had. You know, little runs of success under, say, a Bruce Boudreaux, hard to play against was never one of those things.
0: Yeah, never. And it's it's changed quite a bit. Now, you know, y- you mentioned how they've they've found some players to to plug in and, and fill holes that, that they just didn't have, uh, you know, those role-type players from last year. And we just – we spoke with Jim Rutherford uh, earlier last hour, and, you know, he's been doing the media tour over the last 24, 48 hours – But to me, that's one of the things that this front office has done so well is recognize their weaknesses and really identify players that can fill in those holes. So there's a much stronger supporting cast around the high-end talent that was already on this roster that's led to some of the success we've seen this year.
2: And alignment in terms of how that supporting cast that management goes out and gets Fits with the preference of the coaching staff they've hired. Mm. Right? Like it's not just fitting the players they're going to play with, but fitting the style this coaching staff wants the group to play. And I think those two things go hand in hand. And we, you know, clearly there hasn't necessarily been that alignment in the past. And so I think that's a big part of, of what you're seeing. It's why we haven't seen a lot of misses, right? Like, like, we when when Patrick Alvine talked to us before the Zadoroff trade after um the Bavillier trade that, that sort of made made the latter possible i think it was out at, at at UBC um you know one of the questions he was asked and i asked it was like there haven't been a lot of misses like and who deserves credit pro scouting um you know he mentioned analytics like like why why have you guys hit so much more than you've missed um, when it comes to player acquisition. And, and I think that it, it's not like it's been perfect. There have been misses within there, um, but they're usually pretty quick to move on from them, right? So, um, you know, I think of a Curtis Lazar, who, frankly, I think might fit this group now better than he did the one he, he arrived to last year in terms of style of play. Um, but when, when it's not working, they move on from it. And, you know, I think that alignment from from top to bottom and recognizing not just who fits and and, and might fit with potential line mates, but who fits with what, with what the coaches want is, is why you have guys coming in here and having success, fitting with how they want to play. And that's, you know, again, feather in the cap to the group um, for, you know, making those adjustments. And, and, you know, you heard, you, I'm sure amongst the, all the different talks that Jim Rutherford had this week, I, I heard some of the quotes about, you know they're not always going to agree, but there's an open discussion, and everybody at least is on the same page with what they want out of the players they're bringing in and that that's why it tends to work out more often than it doesn't
1: and you know we've heard Jim Rutherford make the rounds the last couple of days he was on Canuck Central here with us uh, just the last hour and what do you make of what the job that he's done now through two years and we talk about alignment, what he's been able to put in place over these two years
2: well i mean i, I Geez, I mean, look where they were a couple of years ago. I remember, I remember him talking about it. You know, it being, you know, it can just be a couple players, but it has to be the right couple players out, the right couple of players in. Like, there's been some bold moves here, right? Like the the OEL buyout um, is a big bold move. Uh, there, you know, there's been a handful like that 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 they've worked out so far. I I, I have trouble. I don't know that there's much to criticize, right? Like, everything's good right now. And maybe we come from a place where it was so bad for so long that it's all relative. But it feels like, you know, to go back to the Braden Point quote that we opened with, like, things are really moving in a, in, in a right direction here. And as much as, you know, you can fairly quibble, obviously, with how things went down uh, in Bruce Boudreaux's return last season, um, again, they've moved on from that. And gone to people that have more of that alignment with what they want to do. And it's, you know, I think the fact that we keep talking about that sort of um, alignment among everyone involved is a credit to the, you know, it it has to be a credit to the guy at top for not only bringing in the right people, um, but for
0: I think we just got back into the Hyundai right now. Yeah, or something
1: dropped. <laughs> something dropped and, and changed up uh, for Kevin Woodley.
0: That's, uh, that's the power of the Hyundai Bluetooth right there. Yeah, it took over the Bluetooth. But, you know, in terms
1: of what Rutherford has done, too, and you're, he's right, like two years ago, we talked about this organization being in a really bad spot. Like it's, and, and we'll see ultimately how high they can go or yeah. whatever, but it's, it's certainly far more stable than it was back then. I mean, just the discussions we had, again, like nobody's talking about the owner now.
0: No. Two
1: nope. years ago, it was like, it was a constant conversation it was about the owner.
0: No. And, uh, you know, the alignment that we were just talking about, uh, they weren't aligned with the head coach last year and we saw how badly that all went. Uh, we'll bring in, uh, Kevin Woodley again. Uh, we, we lost you there for a second.
2: Kevin needs to get aligned with the folks at TELUS a little better. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I apologize,
0: guys. It's uh, it's it's quite all right. Um, but you know, one, one of the things that uh, I guess we're we're all really trying to figure out. So, okay, the Canucks are a pretty good team. We we've kind of figured that out through the first thirty games of the season, and there's still a lot to be found out about this team. But the way Jim Rutherford uh, seems to to view it, and the front office seem to view it, is. Well, we've bought ourselves some time, and we have some runway to really figure out what pieces we need to identify in order to take this team to a next step and closer to being a cup contender
2: and you're kind of curious as as much as we want all those answers like are they gonna could they could they be buyers yeah like do they yeah. see this as a as a win now? you know the fact that he talked about the window just opening like um how much does it close depending on the raises you have to give certain people does that affect how you go into this I don't have the answers to that but I think for the first time in a long time this market has some faith and a reason to have faith in the people that are trying to come up with those answers and it's not just one person it's it's the entire staff assembled right so that's exciting I think that it should be exciting for a fan base as a media person. like I'm curious to see which way this goes, right? Like there's, there's an air of uncertainty here, and I know as much as our industry has become about analysis and prediction and what should be the right step, I'm old school, right? Like I've been doing this 23 years. To me, the the fascin- like the excitement of the start of a new season because I'm not a fan, I'm a reporter is to see what happens when there's new pieces in place. And, uh, and given the surprising success they've had, at least from us on the outside watching, I don't think anybody you know, predicted this level of early success, especially looking at that early schedule. Um, I'm, I'm curious and excited to see which way it goes. And, and after so many years of having very little to be excited about, frankly... That's a positive, right? Like, I was in Seattle last year. The NHL hired me to go down there and cover their playoff run. And man, I missed the postseason. I going to the rink when it's sunny and warm out. Yeah. Haven't done it in a long time. Like, we, we're, you know, they're honoring a long ago. Like, it's been a long time. And the sun was out. And, you know, like, I'm looking forward to that. And And I guess when I say I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle this into the trade deadline, I don't know, I don't pretend to have the answers about what the right decisions are moving forward, but as I said earlier in this answer, I think for the first time in a long time, um, you have a higher level of faith in the people that are going to make those decisions and the reasons they're going to make them for.
1: I think one of the, you know, some of the outstanding things remaining, obviously, are, hey, make the roster better still. But Philip Peronik needs a contract, and Elias right. Petterson clearly does. And, and, you know, Rutherford with us, when we asked him about uh, Peterson and he mentioned about Peterson that, hey, um They're willing to give him whatever term that he wants. They view him as being a top five player in the league when he's at his best. What do you make of him being so pretty much open to signing Pedersen to whatever he wants? And especially contrasting that to his quotes and comments on guys like JT Miller before they signed, Bo Horvat before they signed. It seems like he's saying almost whatever you want, tell us and we'll get it
2: done. Well, I mean, I guess it's interesting, and I'm trying to remember what the comments were uh, regarding the other guys. I'm old, Chad. I've taken too many pucks well, off so the head, so I can't remember. Well, essentially,
1: he difference. was saying it has to make sense for both sides, right? Yeah, where we, we'd like to keep with Bo. He said we'd like to keep him, but if we can't, we'll get a good value back in return for JT. He said we like JT, but he's a guy who's going to be 30, and, you know, we got to be careful what right. well, you pay him, and we like him, but you got to be careful. Like, there's no there is no qualifying here with Elias Patterson.
2: Well, I, th- I think part of that might be, and and... You know, I don't know where they came from, but we heard some of the rumblings early in this season about there being uncertainty. And and I'll be honest, again, too many pucks to the head, not that bright in the first place. <laughs> Can't remember the source of those reports or where that conversation sort of started, the genesis of it, and, and don't know the roots. But it certainly became a bit of a talking point. And maybe this is, maybe this is just one way to make sure that that it's clear. That there is no hesitation here. That you're our guy, and when you're ready to sign, we're ready to sign you. Doesn't mean it's a blank check. You're not like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's still a limit at which we, it won't make sense. You're not giving Shohei Otani money to Elias Patterson. You're not going to commit to the point where it, it restricts what you can do. Especially, you know, he's talked about years three and four of that OEL buyout. Um, where you completely handcuff the team, but just amidst a bunch of discussion, some of which included um, hints at uncertainty about the team wanting him long term. Just a great way to go out and clear the air and make sure that, you know, whatever said behind closed doors, it's pretty clear, at least to the public, that this is a guy they want around and want around for as long as he's willing to stick around. There's still a negotiation to be had. In terms of what that costs but removing any uncertainty about your desire to have him back i think is a smart play here
0: kevin woodley our guest our goalie guru and uh normally we we take some time to talk about some goalie storylines around the league but uh with roberto luongo being uh put into the ring of honor tomorrow night i think the the discussion really lies there and you know we've we, we talked to Corey schneider yesterday he gave his thoughts but I'm kind of curious from from your perspective, you know, the longevity of Luongo's career, how great he was, how he was the Michelin man in Florida, but uh, never really got recognized because of how bad those Florida teams were and never did end up getting a Vesna in his career, but does go straight into the Hall of Fame because of him being essentially one of the best goalies of this generation. What to you made him so elite like what stood out even from a technical standpoint that us non-goalie gurus wouldn't be able to point out what to you made made Luongo so great
2: well it's interesting because at various points I think you might have said different things but I think what made him a first ballot hall of famer and he should have had a couple of business frankly oh three, oh four, he should have had one I know the year he went toe-to-toe here what you know like for the for the wins record with Broder. I think some of the, the underlying numbers favored him, um, but you were never going to beat Marty if you ended up a win behind him, and that's ultimately what happened. So I think he should have a couple of Esna trophies. I think it's the competitiveness, as much as that's not technical, and mm. the desire to constantly evolve and cha- and, be, and the willingness to change his technique. Like There were many periods during his career where he was the best, and he never rested on his laurels, and that's why... You know, I think he gets to a thousand games, and you know it's interesting because I got to credit Drance for this because I think he, he was the one that mentioned it, and he may have even asked Roberto about this. But like after Mark Andre Fleury hits a thousand games here in the next two three weeks, he's, I think he's three or four games from it. I don't know that we ever see this again, and I was asking Casey De Smith about it this morning. Like that may become like you know one of the most exclusive lists or records in all of hockey, a goalie playing a thousand games. And it's a credit to Roberto's drive to constantly improve that he was able to do so. Like I can't count, um, the number of little technical tweaks and adjustments that he made over the years to his game, you know, for a guy who was already at the top, he was never willing to sort of stand still because he recognized that if he wasn't, continuously evolving in a position that was continuously evolving, he would fall behind. I think one of my favorite stories actually is after the, I think it was the San Jose playoffs. And it was a way he played the posts. Um, he used what we would call a traditional VH. The The lead pad would go up against the post and the back pad would drop along the goal line. Um, now that's when you hear reverse VH, it's actually the opposite of that. The lead pad drops along the ice and the back pad is up off the ice to anchor you. And this is at a time when the reverse I just described didn't even exist. Like Jonathan Quick had just started doing it and Roberto didn't have it in his game and he was getting exposed a little bit by teams trying to just stuff pucks in on on, on his VH down and around the goal line. The Sharks really targeted it. Um, and so he went that summer and he looked for solutions and and. At the time, it wasn't something Roley Melanson taught, and Roberto went back to Florida and found somebody who did teach it. And the irony is that Ian Clark, who he'd worked with here in Vancouver and is now obviously back in Vancouver. And as I understand it, he learned it there in the summer, in the offseason, added it to his game, and brought it back to Vancouver and said, this is how we're going to do – like, this is how I'm going to do this. And just one of many things when you talk to him over the course of his career that he added – that added years to his career um because he was willing to adapt and adopt and in that case go out and actively seek a new way of managing post play at a time when teams were increasingly trying to pick goalies apart um because technique had sort of fallen or the technique of the day was exposable and it was for roberto in part because he's, he's legged. he couldn't keep that he couldn't keep keeping it above the goal line. So they were just wrapping it and stuffing it and figuring they'd eventually be able to jam it in. And so he goes out and figures out a way to sort of solve that and be better. And I think that's just one example of many I have of what allows him to have the career he had to be on a list that we may never see anyone outside of flurry join from now on, um, and be a first ballot hall of famer. And in my mind, like it doesn't lessen the celebration in my mind, a guy whose number you retire, but, um, I say that not, you know, I look at the guys that are in the ring of honor and, and, you know, it's there's all time cannot greats in there. So this is a great honor too. And I'm looking forward to watch it being celebrated tomorrow.
0: Uh, we'll let you go with this text. Luongo is one of the best because he kept up to date with new goalie techniques from reading in goal
2: magazine. God, I wish that was true. Hey, eh? can I get him to say that tomorrow? Do you think at the presser? Although I will say, I don't even know if he remembers that, I wish that Twitter still had direct message archives dating back to that San Jose oh, yeah. series because there may have been a conversation between us back then about about that ahead of him adding the new technique. Interesting.
0: Uh, well, another story for another day. Woodley, you're the best. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650 brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhunday.com Coming up, on Canuck Central, overrated or underrated? Your topics, our debate, next on Sportsnet 650.